Well, welcome to the show this week, everybody. This just in, Chicago has gone woke and gay. That's right. <laughs> a man named Brandon won the election in Chicago. I don't know what that means. I'm happy for Chicago, though. I, I'm I mean, happy I'm, for him. I'm normally happy for Chicago. Well, it's like I'm happy for anywhere that gets a um, a political candidate named Brandon who's not a conservative. Like that's, that's an uphill battle. That's an uphill battle. That's right. We have a local politician named Brandon Smith who, if the guy had half a brain, he would run the world. Like he's gorgeous. He's a great orator. He's just corrupt and dumb as shit. But he's got mm. all the intangibles, you know. Yeah. And his what was his slogan this year, Terrence? He did a "Let's Go Brandon" thing too. Didn't I think he did literally say "Let's Go Brandon." It's like <laughs> there's no meaning anywhere in the world <laughs> he got a dui which is just you know day rigueur for the kentucky state house <laughs> uh, yeah. but price uh, of entry all right he, uh, yeah but uh he also brought us hits like uh the temperature on mars is the same as earth <laughs> uh that was during that was during the cold wars that was good right right, right. the cold war is that you said cold, the cold war c-o-a-l <laughs> oh <laughs> Big difference. This is, this is all Greek chart guess, but just you know, add a little local color for the for the non-casual. Um, well, well, before we get into it, what won't be Greek to our guest is that Bud Light has also gone woke and right. gay. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys know about that, but Kid Rock shot a mountain of Bud Light cans yesterday on stream, and it was badass, man. I have to say, uh, my man looks like he's probably in, just judging from his skin color, he's probably imbibed one too many of those in his day. What did Bud Light do? I don't know, Tom. What did they do? Like a I think they did pride a pride can, can and that they, that was just a bridge too far for <laughs> in brother, April, brother Rock. Yeah, just a delayed yeah. response. <laughs> like in April, month. yeah. Why supply yeah. chain issues? Probably <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> pride <laughs> month, a month late. Yeah, they <laughs> did it last year in Pride last summer, and it just now got to Tennessee to Kid Rock's trailer. <laughs> yeah, uh, they gotta tighten up, man. That's <laughs> that took too long. Seriously, I mean, the video. Did y'all watch it? No, okay. no, I haven't seen it yet. It's like I love, um, I love it when his stuff, right wingers. Make like Andrew Breitbart used to do this a lot before he had a fucking cocaine, like his heart, heart exploded death. from cocaine and he died on the toilet. Um, like he used to do this a lot where he'd be like, I cannot fucking wait for those fucking, you know, commies. Like, this is like, we're really doing this, you know what I mean? And they have a gun and they fucking cock it. And they, sh- it's just like, you know what I'm saying? It's like intentionally supposed to uh, make them seem way more badass than they really are. It's very uh, campy. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is campy. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what he does. He shoots up the he shoots up a mountain of Bud Light. Uh and um it goes fizzing everywhere. You know what I mean? Like it spills everywhere. It's funny because I would make like a good commercial for it, you know. <laughs> he says, he says, he goes, uh, let me say this in no uncertain terms. That's what that's what I'm talking Fuck about. Anheuser Bush. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm right there man. with you, man. I'm, I guess. 
much you want to say. It's it is funny how like Not for the same reasons, but yeah, it's like that was like the a working man's beer 30, 40 years ago, right? And it's like they're running out of working men's beer. It's like if you to like to really virtue signal like it's your the great replacement of, of beers. It's the great replacement of beers. They're right. That's right. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's what's going to happen though? Like where the, where are they going to now? I heard a lot of them are going to uh, uh, champagne and beers, which is kind of right. You know, they're honing in. No, the mistake is tying yourself to a brand. They got to go like prohibition. You know, that's yeah. true. They should. <laughs> they should temperance, full temperance. Yeah. Yeah, Sebastian Gorka, yeah, should be cooking up some something nasty in his tub. I honestly, I think the left should bring back like temperance. Like, I, I really think that that would throw people off because you want to have the element of surprise and like surprise people. Right. People would not expect it if we were like, "No, nah, uh, we're strictly against alcohol. Ban it." Terrence, I regret to inform you, there is a crime think zine about just this. <laughs> is there? Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Man. Temperance was one of those things that um, I can see where they were coming from. And I even kind of agree with them up to a point. Uh, but John Brown's son, Owen Brown, was a, a big prohibitionist. Like he was, mm -hmm. he was like, no, nah, fuck this. Uh, you know, anti slavery, anti um, Chinese exclusion laws, you know, like ha had all the right views on pretty much everything. I think his older brother even became a socialist. But towards the end of his life, he was like, nah, man, people, too many people are getting shit-faced and passing out in the streets. Like, we got to ban booze. I've been keeping track. I think you talk about your book, your John Brown book, every episode. <laughs> Which is great. That's, that's a good teaser. I really have to read it now. Yeah. Tom and I, we're going to do an episode on it. So if you want to follow along, you want to be a part of Trillbilly's book club, go read Cladsbitter by Russell Um. Well, um, this week we have two guests on the show. Uh, you know, so sorry, I had to get the Bud Light thing out of the way. It's the elephant in the room. You know, I, think, <laughs> I know we couldn't proceed in a healthy way. <laughs> we didn't talk about the Bud Light thing because it would keep otherwise just coming up. It exactly, it rent a hole. We just dance thing. around it for an hour. Who's going to bring it up? Huh? That's right. Um, this week we have two guests um, who are going to help us talk about tenant organizing, just some issues going on right now with uh, uh, housing in the United States at the moment um, and landlords. And at the end, we're going to read a fun little article about um, landlords arming themselves for the revolution. Mm -hmm. uh, so that'd be fun. Um but before we get there, uh, we're going to go ahead and introduce our guests. We have Katie Slininger, who had been on the show before, uh, who, yes, as Katie pointed out, the fans chastised me for not giving your entire background, social security number, address, last time you were on the show. Um, so uh, Katie, Katie's with the Cargill Tenants Union in Connecticut and is a part of the DAC, DSA Communist Com Caucus. Katie, how are you doing? Doing pretty well. Provisional member. I just oh, for God. legal reasons. Oh shit. <laughs> She's a prospect in motorcycle gang parlance. <laughs> <laughs> they still gotta haze you in. Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. They haze you in by making you read viewpoint articles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Read viewpoint, um, run drugs across state lines. Yeah, I've I've heard it's some fucked up hazing, but that might be that's up there. Um <laughs> 
we also have joining us today Ben Maybe, who's an organizer in Brooklyn with Crown Heights Tenant Union and Tenant Union Flatbush, and is also a part of DSA Communist Caucus. How you doing, Ben? I'm good. I'm stoked to be here, guys. Good. Welcome, we're, gang. We're very glad to have you. Very, very glad to have you both. Um, before we start today, I wanted to read a tweet that I saw uh, just the other day. Um, it's like on the show we have like a a sort of you could bet your set your watch by it pretty much that if a if a tweet starts off with y'all. It's gonna be bad one hundred percent of the time. There's not even a margin. Ah, uh, you got you found one. <laughs> They're getting right. rarer and rarer these days. Thank they, they are. They are getting rare because there's a lot of weird ticks that were popular on Twitter like five mm -hmm. years ago and have slowly kind of gone away. Like people being like this, you know what I'm saying? And they point yeah. down. You know what I mean? Yeah. But y'all, y'all has persisted. It's dropped off recently. It has dropped off, but it it. You know, some I, I guess this person is a landlord, so that makes sense mm. why they use um, them. They're a little mm. behind. <laughs> right. Just like Kid Rock. <laughs> um this tweet says, Y'all, developers are just people who build homes. If we were experiencing a food shortage, we wouldn't be like those greedy farmers just want to sell us food. We need farmers to grow us food and we need developers to build us homes. Sheesh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sheesh. <laughs> I didn't see that. Sheesh. That's so funny. I love that they still, <laughs> even even in the tweet, they still can't justify their own existence. They still don't explain what does the landlord do in that uh in that schema. They're not even in the equation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, it's it's a it's a weird thing. Someone responded, yes, but commodifying housing means that the incentives aren't aligned with what the community specifically needs. It's aligned with what makes money for the people who have invested funding in that sector. And then the original person said, this tweet was in response to seeing people say that we shouldn't build more because developers would profit, which I find to be an insufficient argument for opposing more housing in a housing crisis. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I know like we we're what we're talking about today isn't really like housing per se. I mean, it's not houses. Like we're not really talking about the real estate market when it comes to like a uh, white picket fence home, you know, ranch style. three right. bedroom. Um, But it is an interesting thing. It's like, we have so thoroughly internalized the idea of housing mm -hmm. as a commodity that it's like we can't even think of it in any other way. Like the mm -hmm. only way that it comes down to us is through the, you know, benevolent profit motive, I guess. I don't know. It, now, it's it's totally crazy because like this is the line that you're going to hear from landlords, from developers, from like kind of like basically like business interests across the board. There's like a really acute housing crisis. Anybody who's renting or knows someone renting knows that, that like rent is going up. Every, every one of our buildings is falling apart. Uh, people can't find places to afford to live. And there's a bunch of people that are trying to spin it as fundamentally a problem of supply, that that's the exclusive cause of uh, everything gone wrong. Um, and uh the data just really isn't there. It also doesn't explain all the other kind of problems that people have of harassment, of negligence, of shoddy construction. Of yeah. Repair, the whole yeah like how does supply, how does that factor into what you're dealing with, Katie? Lead paint. Right. <laughs> it's like, it's like, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, it's just, yeah, it's just, um, it's about the, um, 
the way this like formerly industrial space was like completely uh bought out by a private landlord and um just uses like a money making machine while making it completely um uninhabitable for human beings so you know it i do think we need like in this area i i haven't done a um a deep dive yet into the actual housing like availability in the area but in terms of what's been open to the public um it is like a a supply issue in terms of you know um afford like stuff people can afford and um live live in so like i i talked to a friend today who's a former tenant here she just got displaced because she has an infant and they couldn't wait for the lead abatement um it, it was too much of a an acute health risk and so she's been looking for an apartment and she said it's like a zoo out there where mm -hmm. um they're doing like realtors are taking over like the control of uh shitty apartments to show you know like they're actually mm -hmm. hiring realtors for these little tiny craigslist apartments and mm -hmm. they're doing open houses and like 30 people are going to each one mm -hmm. and like fighting each other for these. Yeah. So I don't, yeah, I don't know what actually, I don't know how much it varies geographically in terms of like literal supply of apartments. Um, around here, it seems like there is a very limited actual supply, but I don't know in terms of literal physical space that could be used for housing. I don't know, you know, I, I mean, still like, need to look into that. No, you're so right. I mean, like supply is definitely a factor at some places, right? Like we haven't built housing that keeps up with population growth in this country for some decades. But part of the problem is that like supply doesn't automatically one mean like we're not when we're talking about building, when we're talking about kind of like giving a green light to developers. We're not talking about building housing that working class people need and can afford. We're largely talking about building luxury housing, which maybe it's suggested in a long period of time through a process of violent displacement and sorting across the region might result in like working class people finding cheaper housing now on the outskirts of the cities that they've been previously making a life in. Uh, and it also doesn't factor in that most, you know, in New York City, one out of five apartment units, 20 percent of our housing is uninhabited. It's just right. being held like off market by landlords who are trying to illegally destabilize it. It's just an asset that some rich person is kind of sitting on. It's just being thought of as exchange value, not as use value. Right. And so, uh, yeah. The idea in, in my area, I feel like that kind of luxury, like, or that, um, that kind of like held property that's right. like very visibly, you know, just a, you know, a financial um, asset. Um, that's like not so much the case here, but there is like, a crisis of supply because there's existing housing that's just completely neglected to the point totally. of being condemned. And right. so we're, we're looking at like, like just endless properties with a big X on them mm -hmm. that could be housing. So, it, you know, it is like, yeah, it just like, so that's like kind of our specific um, crisis here in terms of mm -hmm. um, supply being like a manufactured crisis. Yeah. yeah. I would say that where we, where we live in Eastern Kentucky, um, there's an, there's a housing shortage for sure. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to find it. And and part of the reason is what you just described happening in New York City, Ben, the same dynamic exists here, but it's mm -hmm. not with um, large uh, constructed buildings. It's with land. So it's right. like you have large swaths of land that are held. They're enclosed and they're held in the you know hands of absentee landlords who... Um, they have that land on their books, but mm -hmm. 
but it can't be used for anything. You don't have access to it. You can't use its amenities or its resources, um, which means you also can't live on it. So it's like, and it might be the same way where you're at, Katie, in Connecticut, but it, it seems like, you know, it's like we have both of you on. It seems like one of you, uh, you know, I know it's different everywhere you go. Like East Kentucky is different from like rural East Kentucky is different from rural Connecticut, but just dividing it out into two broad camps, you have a kind of like urban housing issue mm -hmm. and you have a kind of rural housing issue. Mm -hmm. um, and so just talking with Katie over the last, I mean, how, how long have you guys been dealing with this? Katie's like almost like since January. Warm, yeah. Yeah. Since the beginning yeah. of the year, it's like a lot of the things that I've heard you describe are things that I've seen happen, um, in surrounding communities where I live. And um, so maybe the best way to do this would be to have kind of each of you maybe talk a little bit about your work, uh, what you've experienced and, um, you know, what you've seen in response to those things. I don't know whichever one you want to start with. Maybe Ben, why don't you start? Uh, okay. Yeah, I can start. Uh, feel free to interrupt me and, and ask a question or whatever too. Uh, <laughs> if I'm just rambling oh, on. Oh, we will. Yeah, we'll give you that. We'll give you the wrap yeah, 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 yeah. Start playing the Oscar music. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, so yeah, I'm organizing here in Brooklyn with Crown Heights Tenant Union is one of the projects. We're having our 10 year anniversary um, this spring. Been around. It was first started as a post Occupy project. Um, been around the neighborhood for a while um, and a big part of the kind of tenant movement in New York City and New York State. And then uh, we're also organizing with Tenant Union Flatbush, which is the neighborhood just south of Crown Heights, both kind of central Brooklyn neighborhoods. You know, just to give you some perspective, you know, uh, Flatbush has like a quarter million renters just in that neighborhood alone, wow. mostly in large rent stabilized buildings. Um, so it's a pretty dense area. That's like a three by three miles, like half the size of San Francisco, just as dense as San Francisco. There, there's not even that many people in eastern Kentucky, like in the right. 20 county watershed that me and Tom live in. <laughs> and the messed up part is it. uh it's very easy to, to know everyone. You can't talk shit anywhere in these neighborhoods because you can't go anywhere with uh you can't even walk around talking one about of the true downsides <laughs> yeah right. yeah there's there's some yeah it's not all great but no i mean we're, we've been organizing here and it's like the situation's gotten really acute i mean like landlords have there was a bunch of people that went on rent strike because they couldn't pay rent uh in 2020 people lost their jobs there wasn't sufficient state support landlords are already taking like half or more of people's income month to month a bunch of people went on strike um, they were able to kind of force through a number of like unprecedented tenant protections that came through uh, both prior to COVID and right after. And landlords have kind of been responding by organizing a capital strike of their own. They're just not, they're jacking up the rent as much as possible through Eric Adams. They're getting permission to raise the rent really high, kind of really like aggressive rent hikes on rent stabilized units, but they're kind of withdrawing all of the money that they might've previously put. I mean, already it was a situation of wants and disrepair out here, but it's only gotten worse. And even if you canvas in luxury buildings, like ones that just opened in 2019, people are talking about rats and roaches and heat not being on. And I think it's the landlords are trying to weaponize this kind of capital strike right now in Albany and in the courts by saying tenant protections are too strong. We can't afford to make repairs, uh, despite the fact that they're all corporate landlords. Did a lot of these tenant protections come in place with the pandemic or? So there was, I mean, some of these are like longstanding. A lot of New York has pretty strong tenant protections relative to other parts of the country, but it was always born initially of tenant struggle. So in the kind of grant, grant, 
kind of like rent strike wars of the early 20th century. That's what first got us rent control. Um, further efforts at kind of unionizing, like uh, cohere to slate of protections for tenants in the 60s and 70s. And in 2019, on the backs of AOC's victory and people being Julia Salazar's victory and people being afraid that you know, uh, socialists were going to primary people even in like, uh, you know, Long Long Island or something. They like rushed through some tenant protections, which stabilized a bunch of units. And landlords have been really worried about this, not because it affects their bottom line, like too dramatically, they're able to collect money all the time, but they're trying to really kind of arrest the advance of a kind of tenant movement, which is, um, is growing larger and growing a little more confident out here. A lot of our work, though, is just kind of like at more, not the legislative level, but the building level, because just because you have a right doesn't mean you know what it is or how to exercise it. You know, like most it's not like there was even public notices that went out about these change in laws. We don't have a kind of organization which can transmit to people like we just got this win in in Albany. Like, here's how you can actually use it. Uh, And so a lot of our work is uh, doing court support, helping build tenant associations that can raise demands against their landlord in some cases. Uh, organizing a rent strike against disrepair and harassment. We just had a victory in Crown Heights Tenant Union yesterday where a group that's been on rent strike for some time out at St. John's kind of place here in Crown Heights, St. John's and Franklin, uh, they just won the right to both like have the city take the ownership out of the landlord's hands, uh, potentially place it in tenant control. And they got the city to back $700,000 of repairs that the landlord has been kind of like in decades not making uh, in the building. So awesome. that's some of the kind of like look work that we're doing is on a building by building level to kind of build tenant power at the place where landlord power often prevails, which is like in the in the domain of people's homes and their lobbies um, around issues like rent and disrepair. Cool. Well, and, and so like you like you mentioned, it seems like the landlords are pretty well aware at this point that they're I mean, obviously, they've been aware of it the whole time. But it may be like the class warfare aspect of it has maybe taken sure. a notch in the last. They've, they've been acting out lately. They they are wilding <laughs> out. They really are. They, they are. Really are. I saw yeah. one the other day that had a, a, a blade like a katana or something. Right. Out. So oh, yeah, for sure. Something. I, I don't know what I didn't inquire any further, but they're doing self-defense classes They're They're deeply paranoid. Uh, we had a meeting with a landlord in Flatbush a couple of weeks ago. He came with like a whole crew of dudes. Like Damn. 12 guys deep, <laughs> like all dressed like extras at a succession, like just mean looking guys who didn't say a word and just kind of like stood behind him. It was like really bizarre. Uh, Man. I honestly think like, I mean, just from an outsider's perspective, because I'm very new to tenant organizing, but it seems like there is a pretty new wave of like um, newly enfranchised tenants that are starting to understand their rights. And from, sure. from what I've seen, like, landlords are very unused to being um to experiencing any kind of pushback i mean maybe outside of the cities especially but um that they are when people are even remotely um aggressive about defending their rights they have like panic attacks and they literally don't know what to do yeah Yeah, that is so they overreact it's like they all of a sudden become these like little meek like woe is me types which is interesting because it's like you know, since since we've been involved in, in paper in the, tigers, right? Right, it's, right, it's, right. It is interesting. Um, I mean, try, I don't. Maybe it's pointless to try to make a distinction between like people who own means of production and people who owned own land or or real estate or anything like that, because oftentimes those people are probably involved in a lot of the same activities. Mm-hmm. 
but it does seem that like among landlords there has been recently way more whining and bitching about That's being an aggrieved class the the really i mean you don't even really see like bezos and elon and a lot of people say that like the most you'll get is like howard schultz during the starbucks hearings yeah. last week was just like uh, you know don't call me a billionaire like that's right. <laughs> the right. single tear rolling down his cheek <laughs> during this. it's derogatory yeah. um but yeah no they're, they are, freaking, I mean, they're freaking out they're freaking out and they act out all the time and that acting out takes a bunch of forms i like have i have you know there's like all like to be a, a small landlord in new york city means you have to own a, less than 96 units and even that is only one out of five small, like land. Wow. That's only one out of five landlords in the city. I've got what? one of the few landlords that actually only owns one building that he lives in. It's a very small chunk of like most New Yorkers. There, it's corporate consolidation, and so it's people have all sorts of different kind of complex asset sheets. They might be developers and landlords. They might be like BlackRock. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Everything uh, yeah. in addition to your building, but they act out differently. Like my landlord. The same day he raised our rent, he shared a meme on his Instagram from the tenant union about Eric Adams raising the rent. Uh, and I don't think he was citing it as inspiration, but I think he likes to think of himself as a progressive <laughs> landlord in solidarity with uh, But then other landlords, we had one landlord in, in the neighborhood tear down. He's not been to the building to do repairs in years. He pulls up to tear down Black History Month decorations at the beginning wow. of February. Uh, no way! Just like, it's, See, it's I'm wild. a kid rock, just pulling like up. Like kid rock, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's I'm actually very help. bold. Like really that's a bold move. Yeah, yeah, really. It's like not plant. Yeah, yeah. You're really asking for the pitchforks at that point. Like, right? Exactly. Don't fuck with public art. <laughs> right. Um. What's interesting? Compare that a little bit. So, like, we'll keep that in mind. Like this sort of portrait that you just painted for New York, Ben. Um, and then maybe contrast that, Katie, uh, with you know what you're experiencing, Katie, and what you've seen in your community. Um, yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm like I said, I'm fairly new to doing all this stuff, so I'm still kind of catching up on political's perspective on the housing industry and historical perspectives. Um, so I'm, this is really just from groundwork the past few months, but. Um, so should I give like the whole background of the issue here? Do you think? Yeah, why okay. not? Uh, okay. yeah, because uh, like it's a fascinating story. I mean, yeah, um, it's like it's kind of come to me through you from you know over the past few months, kind of in like drips and drabs, like organizing and doing work in a small community. Uh, well, in any community, really, it's like something happens and then it seems like it kind of comes in waves that you um, learn more and more about why that thing happened and how the various actors are implicated and what's all going mm. on. So I don't know if you just want to give like the yeah. broad outline or the basics of like, you know, where you live, who it's owned by, yeah. what you're dealing with. Um, so I am in a converted old textile mill um, in Putnam, which is the Northeast corner of Connecticut. It's um, an old textile industry Um center and um so they've been the state has kind of been working on these converted mills um because it's a great idea they're on dams they can be converted to hydropower they can be like sustainable um and obviously there's a lot of space um so overall like the project is they could be a good one um this was um renovated 
um, from like 2016 to 2020. Um, and so in 2020 open to residents and, um, I moved in with my family in 2021 and, you know, there's a lot of exposed wood and exposed masonry and exposed brick. And, um, so it has this really like pleasing old mill aesthetic. Yeah. Well, that, what I, was, um, I don't want to interrupt you, but it's no, something that was interesting. Like I remember when you first moved in there, I mean, um, was it kind of like a gentrification project? Like why? I mean, I hesitate to say this because like, I like old buildings. I like old architecture, architecture and stuff, but like, I almost kind of wonder like why they didn't just knock down the old mill and put up a new building or something. You know? I think it's, a, it's definitely a gentrification project. Um, and this town is kind of in this very visually stark, like process of, renovating it's like this small town is driven by the chamber of commerce you know mm -hmm. like these small businesses right. that just have like absolute political and cultural and social control over the town and and sometimes even the like county um and so they've been renovating downtown it's like beautiful it attracts out of towners it's um you know uh higher cost like restaurants and things like that and then over the river the residential side of town and it's just like completely dilapidated porches caved in like condemned houses, fire, like burnt, half burned down houses that aren't demolished. Um, and this was seen as like the star project of the town and um, for the mayor here. And, yeah. you know, like, oh, we, this beautiful mill. It was, yeah, the historical <laughs> society was like at the forefront of preserving it here. Um, yeah. And um, so, yeah, it was this big like, you know, this is like an antiques town, you know, so right. a, a, like a restored mill is just, you know, catnip to to the boomers that come in here and spend a lot right. of money. Um, but so they, so, sorry, it's just a very complicated, big story. And um, so sometimes I have trouble kind of like uh, having a linear um, storyline, but Basically, um, at the end of last year, the the last week of December, right after Christmas, we got a notification from the Department of Health that a child, a toddler had been severely blood poisoned here. So this is a recent renovation. Again, it was like the, it's, it had been up until very recently been just like the star of the town. Um, mm -hmm. There were affordable housing or affordable units within here. It was like it's mixed income. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I'm in a subsidized unit. And um and so since then, it's just been this like absolute chaos of like finding out how there was such like an oversight because there was lead dust um, everywhere from the construction during renovation. There was there's still like exposed lead paint literally everywhere. The EPA level for lead dust on the floor for a square foot is like. Okay, I'm gonna get the numbers wrong, but I do remember that um, this original unit with that lead poisoned toddler, the lead dust was 40, 4,800 times the EPA limit for lead God dust. God damn. And again, this was a, we were the first wave of tenants in here mm, after right. a com like supposedly completed construction mm -hmm. project. So it was like a huge shock to everyone. Um, mm. And then since then we've been doing our organizing and stuff like that, but that's like kind of the background. Is lead paint cheaper than I don't even know what the fuck. Oh, it's illegal. It's it's old. Have it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's illegal. 
How the fuck? Yeah, so pre nineteen seventy eight. Do you like ship well, it in? That would be so tight if you could just get like uh, asbestos and stuff, but it's like marked way down. But <laughs> on the black market, <laughs> inherent in that is you have to assume the cancer risk, like long term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? right. Like, yeah. yeah how do you was... acquire these illegal? Goods? Yeah, so you you can't. It's that it was already here. It was already in the building, like it was on the walls and on the floor. And uh, so in buildings that are af uh, built after 1978, they don't use lead paint. But if it was built before 1978, mm -hmm. you have to assume that the paint they used has lead in it. Jesus. So what they should have been doing was lead remediation during the construction right. process where they they either painted over lead or um, HEPA vacked like lead dust up. But from what we can tell, and it's been essentially confirmed at this point, is that they tried to get rid of lead paint by sandblasting it and then did not, which is illegal. So that would be a, an environmental crime. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And then, and then the it, particles in the air. Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> it creates lead dust and it settled into every nook and cranny. Um, damn it. And um, then uh, didn't vacuum or anything, you know, just left it. Um <laughs> And then um, wow. someone at the health department kind of said, like, what can happen when these buildings like come back to life where like, you know, people move in, start treading around and things like that. Dust from little nooks and crannies will start to come out. So yeah. um, it just with people and children here, it's just that, that just the action of living has like created a, a toxic atmosphere in here. Mm -hmm. My God. Yeah. Um. Well, it's it's, it's like there's a hotel in our downtown that people have been trying to uh you know revive into like a boutique hotel and it reminds me a lot of the building that you were living in um and i have always assumed that if they do go ahead and revive it like they probably won't do the remediation or probably will still be asbestos and lead paint in there for mm -hmm. sure like these are these are projects that are in some ways to them are kind of like ready made. It's like ah, oh, you just make a few changes, you slap mm -hmm. some paint, some new stuff on it, and like there you go, and it looks quaint and it looks. Yeah, that would have cool. been so tight if they did that at the hotel. Like I walked through there and saw a, both a dead raccoon and a live raccoon, <laughs> and then a twin size kids mattress that had like comets and planets on it oh, from right. like the seventies. Oh no! Just lay it in the middle of the floor <laughs> ominously. There's this guy on TikTok who um, is like working on exposing his like landlord and he lives in a converted mill in New England. And now we have this running joke with all of these mills that any kind of like horribly toxic, disgusting, like, you know, uh, converted mill uh, complex is always called the lofts at something. Yeah. Like the lofts oh, yeah, at yeah, Blank yeah, Mill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like our, ours is the lofts at Cargill's Mill, you know, and his is the yeah. lofts at, you know, whatever mill. It's like so funny because. You can like guarantee you have rats and a bat, you know, sure. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, yeah. Uh, when that was hot, like 10 years ago, you'd pay like a ridiculous <laughs> amount. And it was just like, just so you could see your duct work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, right. like yeah, it's like the department. Tom and I lived in an apartment like that, like that. It's like everything was held together with like popsicle sticks. It's a velvet <laughs> coffin. It looked great, but like you just yeah. knew you were going to fall through the floor. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, so there's like a more insidious like aspect to these conversion projects. That's like, it, it just kind of loops in like larger mm -hmm. environmental issues, which is green energy is a cash grab for de like developers at this point right now. Yeah. And 
so with the promise of converting this mill back to hydropower, because we live on the dam um, and installing a generator and it would also like feed energy to the town. So it would not only was it a cash grab from federal and state grants, which our landlord, it's like she created a green energy LLC, applied for these grants, got tens of millions of dollars from the federal government and the state government. Um, and so that initial cash flow, but also because it will feed energy back to the town, it will be a money mm -hmm. generator in addition to our rent. Wow. Um, so part, but part of those funds were earmarked specifically for lead and mold remediation. And she which, just didn't do it. <laughs> I don't. God damn it. For for legal purposes, I can't I can't say who did it. Yeah. That for, is a fact, though. Mm -hmm. For yeah. legal purposes, can you also not get into some of the intrigue? I can report anything that is public information. So I meant like some of the more curious aspects about. No, it. I know, but those are just like I can talk about it because it's just. Yeah, no, I thought this was just fact. Didn't yeah. someone turn up? Somebody dead? get fucking murdered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I want to get to. <laughs> You're living There's a murder in involved in this story, <laughs> goddamn. This is a fucking Christopher Maltesanti fucking story. Yeah. You're yeah. Living in. Like, like maybe literally. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's. We, this is a curious case, right? This whole, my whole housing situation, like obviously there are some very cut and dry like housing issues um, and that's what we have to organize mm -hmm. around. But in addition to that, and it does have this like, uh, it does create like an X factor for our organizing that always makes this kind of, um, uh, we're still trying to understand motives on the side of management as we're like organizing against them. And so what I'm about to describe is just kind of this, um, uh, question mark that is kind of always following any kind of like demands that we make. Um, I thought, but I thought anyway, you were gonna say motive for the murder. I thought you're gonna ask, <laughs> oh no, get on, I, your, get on yeah. your Nancy Drew shit real quick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, believe me, believe me, I have been. Our organizing committee has like research meetings where all we're doing is like the background information on this because it's we're, it's a fucking insane case. But anyway, um, in 2016 or 2017, oh, I can't remember, but um, the original property owner his name is greg renshaw um he was in charge of the whole renovation project up until this point um where he reported to the norwich bulletin that he was considering pulling out of the project um for some kind of vague like financial concern um which we just have been thinking is possible that extensive structural damage was found you know this anyway the construction costs were getting too high um anyway like a few months later he is shot inside of a unit in our complex um uh, it wasn't open to the public yet it was just during the renovation project he was transported out of state to worcester uh worcester hospital and so and the putnam police could not get the massachusetts state police to cooperate they basically would like hang up their phone calls and stuff like that see this is um, the this is a compelling argument for joining a tenants union because, I mean, you know, you at the very least can win some material uh, benefits for you and your families and friends. But you also may be able to investigate a mystery like everybody wants to. <laughs> Everybody wants, yes, exactly. I'm, li I'm living a true life podcast. Exactly. You know? Everybody mm -hmm. wants to live a true life podcast. 
Yeah. So go on rent strike. You may find that yeah. your your landlord your is landlord is definitely mobbed up. You will find that. Yeah. <laughs> There's some crime somewhere. That's for sure. Yeah. For sure. But anyway, so two two or three months later, a town administrator it starts to raise a fuss about the hydropower generator that they are going to install. He's he has environmental concerns about it diverting too much water from the river. He dies from a mysterious illness um, on his way home from work. He's also transported out of state to Worcester what? State Hospital and the Massachusetts State Police refused to cooperate with any investigation. Both are still cold cases. Whoa. Um, this is like the New England version of Yellowstone. You ever watch mm -hmm. Yellowstone? Take it to the train it. station, but instead of the train station, it's Worcester General Hospital. <laughs> <laughs> they're never heard from again. <laughs> Okay, so here's where it gets like really weird, which is that we now think our so oh so the property went to Greg Renshaw's wife, uh, and her name is Leanne Parker, and so she's been our landlord the whole time there's been residents here, um, up until maybe recently, which is um, the fact that we cannot seem to locate her, and neither can um, any kind of uh, public official or police department um, or the United States Postal Service who say that her new residence is vacant and actually I think just went up for auction. Um, and the only proof of life we have from her is the digital signature that they gave to us on a lead abatement plan. So Damn. on the run, I'd love to pick her brain about how to do it. If she's not dead, get out of here, how to, how to go about, you know, disappearing <laughs> bad off the radar. Right. Just she's very good reference. at it. You never can tell when that'll be. But the, I mean, the wildest thing though is to watch someone who has, uh, allegedly commi committed uh, at least unsavory things um, or b been extremely negligent um, is able to just, it's like we've been begging the state to try to find someone who's poisoned children. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. <laughs> and then you look at their like history in court and it's like, literally how do these people own property? How are they allowed to exist? I, if I, if I looked at my kid wrong, this uh, cop would come knock on my door mm. and like arrest uh -huh. me. You know what I mean? Right. Like, the double, I mean, it's just a very stark double standard that tenants are starting to see through this process. Well, it's what you, it's what we learned in the flood. It's just like, they don't mm. give a fuck about you. It's mm. like a fucking, yeah. A, uh, a river of earth will wipe you off the fucking map. And they're just like, yeah, it doesn't concern us. No. I mean, mm. you know, but if you you're growing weed, you got to figure it out, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's oftentimes if we're not organized, the only thing you have to kind of prompt a court and prompt the state to try yeah. to come in and do anything to the landlord or to the property owner. And I just was in housing court yesterday, and it's just such a sham. It's a joke. A tenant who got like kicked out of their unit because a hole, two holes collapsed in her ceiling, was moved from a lottery unit to a market rate unit. The market rate unit they were charging over four thousand dollars a month for oh her to stay God. in, and now they want her. They haven't fixed up her original unit that she was renting, so they're asking her for rent not just for the original unit, but also for the no. market rate unit. So yeah. they're not even they're not the even whole. saying we'll give you the market rate for what you were paying with the same arrangement. Not even anything. They're both one bedroom apartments. They both look the same, folks. Like and four thousand. It's insane. Absolute and fucking crooks. 
it's it, and it, again, you're in court. You're sitting around waiting for months and months go by to even get a court date. The landlord lawyers objecting to every question on the stand. They won't even let the kind of tenant translate a document into a language that they can read. It's just like the whole thing is a joke. You really get a sense of just like, um, yeah, just how much it's a kind of legal terrain, which is tilted in favor of property owners. It's interesting. Do, yeah, know. it's interesting, like why they have interpreted this as a threat against their personal mm. being i guess it's because in the process of capitalist production you i guess prior to like a, f a few years ago before some portions of the workforce started working from home they generally in the process of production, you have a place separate from home right. that was caught. That was the bargain with capitalism right from the beginning. It's like, well, uh, we don't take care of them. They mm -hmm. are kicked off of the land and they mm -hmm. have to find their own food and housing and everything. But then we gather them in this place. They make the commodities. Mm -hmm. We extract their labor and surplus and then send them on their way. Mm -hmm. But it's like if you're a landlord you're there you lose several of those layers between you and the person you're extracting it's the pretty unmediated from. it's unmediated right and so yeah. it's like you're rubbing up against the bare right. you know, bones of the person's life you're literally just saying you uh give me half your paycheck or you can live on the street like, <laughs> it's, it's so uh, ridiculous there's no complicated process of surplus value extraction there it's just like hand it over cop it, it is. up it's it's one it's like old school um right. It's like old school, like kicking up. It's like Sicilian mafia shit. Right. It really is. It's like, well, it's like there's a reason the word Lord is in there. It's a feudal relationship. It is. Client ownership. It is. That's exactly what it is. It's like, are there any other examples of sort of like, you know, vestigial, like feudal titles that hang around? I guess like sheriff that's funny. Yeah. would be one, but like more, <laughs> but like ones that like specifically like, imply like some sort of lording over somebody in that same way i was like i feel like debt the whole sort of yeah, like yeah. regime of debt is very much that um it's like i was looking for tennis shoes yesterday it's like i try not to pay more than 80 dollars for a pair of walking tennis shoes and it's like pay these off with four easy installments of yeah. 20 dollars, and the interest yeah, is like 12 percent. it's like dude what the fuck like everything now everything go go bankrupt uh from Klarna and a firm or whatever <laughs> yeah uh it's, it's yeah it, it is interesting though i mean it, so it's like the rise in tenant unions in the last like i don't know what would you say ben because like i don't know the history here would you say that like because because katie sent me an article about how tenant unions in connecticut have like exploded just in the last mm -hmm. two years do you think it goes back to the pandemic? Does it go back 10 years ago? Does it go back 40? I mean, like, you know, I don't it's really know question. the history. Well, I think that there's been a lot of different efforts of tenant organized. I mean, as long as there have been tenants, your rent is an exploitative social relation. So in the same way you've got, there's been people organizing on the job, as long as there have been jobs, there have been people organizing like as tenants, as long as people have been tenants. But the kind of forms that that's taken has changed, I think. So, you know, like there's a big effort, like, again, early socialist movement in the United States 100 years ago. Uh, it was a 
key way that people were organizing was like in their neighborhoods on rent strikes. When the Red Scare comes down, a good friend of Katie and ours, our comrade Rain, Rain Stark, she's doing research on how the first one of the first things of the Red Scare is turning socialist tenant unions into more civic, defanged civic associations. Wow. Uh, And like the kind of transformation of a tenant union from something which is primarily about kind of horizontal antagonism or vertical antagonism with the landlord becomes about horizontal projection of respectability and civic responsibility and the rest. And that's kind of a history about what kind of form does tenant organizing take? Is it more durable? Is it something which like is more an ephemeral social movement? Is it primarily a legal advocacy group? Is it a project of tenants helping tenants in struggle together? That's been a kind of debate. It's taken many forms over the last like hundred years. But I really do think in the last 10 years, this model of the tenant union of a kind of federation or association of the building level organizing organizations, that's been a kind of new thing, which has really picked up steam relatively recently. Crown Heights Tenant Union is one example. The Los Angeles Tenant Union, which has thousands and thousands, I think like now it has like four or 5,000 kind of like dues paying members of their union in Los Angeles. A lot of monolingual Spanish speaker tenant leaders out there. It's the kind of the high watermark, I think, of tenant unionism in the country. But yeah, in the last like it's even in the last like five years or so, just prior to the pandemic, that new projects have started all across New York and a lot of states across the country in the Bay Area with a group like Tank. And I think it does respond to one, just like how um, how rapacious landlord exploitation has become as more and more people are kind of flooding into cities to find some of the few pockets of available work. Uh, cities have kind of turned the other cheek because they rely on landlords, such a powerful and organized base in municipal and statewide politics. Property taxes are one of the only forms of municipal, it's right. the only municipal tax base there is in New York City, right, right. in many respects. So, um, yeah, I think that like that these are some of the reasons why people are kind of starting to take this up. What I think is really fascinating is that the tenant unionism is kind of like a model of political organizing, which is able to bring together very different kinds of working class people and very different kinds of working class tenants together. And I think that's part of the kind of like what's so like, I think, special about it and so valuable strategically is that you can have longtime immigrant residents of a neighborhood, newer residents, sometimes college educated, maybe higher incomes. They're both treated differently by the landlord. But the kind of like model that these unions are starting to develop is that like there's a way that they're both commonly exploited, that they deal with some common issues of disrepair and that they have to be unified at the building level, and at the neighborhood level, at the city level in order to actually push back um, kind of landlord exploitation and landlord harassment. And that's kind of, I think, one of the few political models that we've developed in recent years that can bring together people across the segregations of race, of education level, of citizenship, more than a lot of the other kinds of organizing we've been doing um, has been able to do. And I think that's part of the the special thing about it, because everyone's just getting fucked. If you're renting, you're getting fucked. Like, there's yeah. no way around it. Yeah, I almost wonder if the rise in tenant unions and um, cooperation, coordination, that kind of stuff. Right. If it is, um, if it is in some way behind this push from landlords and from small business owners and other uh, business owners as well to um, shape this narrative that crime is on the rise, because I mm-hmm. feel like that mm-hmm. makes tenant mm-hmm. organizing tougher if you're like paranoid of your neighbors and if like there is if if 
your neighbor's actions and everything are so highly charged, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and and at all sure. times, um, at all times in threat of having the police called on them or, or being brought into that situation. Yeah. You know, the first time we have a tenant association meeting out here in Brooklyn, every first meeting that I've been to, the first thing people want to talk about, people could have had ceilings collapse in their units. They could have had a fire next door. You know, in one case, there was half the building had to be displaced because of a fire. They only moved back in a couple of years later. The first thing people want to talk about is package theft and fear about crime. Uh, because I think that's the most easily reach. It's the kind of available language and concepts to explain quality of life issues, to explain issues of inequality, to explain issues of feeling abandoned. Yeah. And it's in the course of the conversation, we start to realize, you know, it's a real health risk is not so much package theft. It's the mold in our apartment. Right. Or the absence of heat sometimes in the evening. And even the package theft, it turns out the landlord can buy a package cage that can easily keep our packages safe. If that cheap asshole will only spend $200 on a cage to put in our oh, lobby. Man, you, you say that, but you've never <laughs> known the uh, misfortune of looking forward to an eight pack of Old Spice. <laughs> Alone in it. Amazon and then some desperado comes by and just snaps it off the porch real quick. You know? uh, it was that? interesting getting started here because um, I was I was aware of like that tendency, especially with like neighborhood groups, to kind of overfocus mm -hmm. on petty crime. Um, and uh, around here too, it's like if you look at the Facebook groups, it's like there's always a roving gang of catalytic converters, like thieves, you know. I'm, I'm sure that they really exist and you know people are i've been wanting that. to get into that rack and <laughs> yeah <laughs> it seems pretty lucrative um but uh Amazing. you know because we had such an acute emergency um at the beginning of our organizing that helped us like really mm -hmm. hone in on these very specific demands targeting our landlord and management company but when we've had lulls in kind mm -hmm. of the process that we're going through it's I've definitely it's definitely come up in a, a variety of ways, um, whether it's like a little like a little bit of paranoia kind of seeping into our group chat um, or, you know, there's been concerns about a tenant let, uh, letting in random strangers mm -hmm. for some some kind of business going on in his uh, apartment. Um, and, you know, so I've been looking to some tenant organizing mentors and I've talked to some people here about those issues because, you know, it's a very, it's a, it's a horrible American tendency right now. Um, that's kind of fostered through propaganda, like, like you're talking about. Um, I do think it's super intentional. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it's, it gives me a lot of motivation to solidify kind of the social fabric here because um, there's been turnover and that, you know, that leads to people's suspicion about new people while there's these other issues going on. And I'm trying to teach this language like that Ben is talking about that what we're talking about is deteriorating living conditions, mm -hmm. right? And a feeling of neglect that everyone can, can sense and, and, um, you know, it's leaving this gap where people are filled. If, if it's not filled by um, intentional organizing, it's going to be filled by like paranoia and turning on each other instead of like mm -hmm. focusing our organizing. So it's um, it's a it's a very concerning thing to face, um, but it's an important thing to just work straight through it because otherwise, you know, it 
otherwise our, our project will probably fail. Like, I mean, because, and it ties in abolition, you know, how are we going to build communities that don't need police? Well, we're going to have to get to know our neighbors. We're going to have to organize together and we're going to have to be able to fix these living conditions that foster them and foster, you know, um, poor quality in one way or another. It is. It, it also strikes me how kind of aspirational it is. It's mm -hmm. like, it really is. It's yeah, it's, it's, and it's kind of sad in a way. It's like, it's, it's, aspiring towards the homeowner like the hoa association you know the mm -hmm. hoa model of having mm -hmm. like cops on call and like neighborhood watch and everything but you don't own anything like you're just mm -hmm. kind of like renting i don't know it's 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 an effective you're just tool. being like a little bitch like for, for yeah pretty much <laughs> yeah i mean instead of taking control of like your own you know collectively taking control of your right. own town you know or your own neighborhood yeah we talk a lot about like um and some of our unions, like what class independence means. And like a lot of what our unions, how we translate that and the kind of idiom of just our organizing is like the unions about us taking responsibility for the building. Now that kind of like ethic of taking responsibility has a bunch of different directions it can point in. For some people that means we have to take responsibility for the criminal behavior in our building. What we're trying to say is that, no, we know that the cops aren't gonna fix this problem for us. Like, oh, your package is getting stolen. Yeah, have you tried to talk to a cop about that? They they don't they don't stop. <laughs> they, they won't do shit. <laughs> they don't Good care about your package. Much. They don't give a single shit. <laughs> you want to rely on calling? You want to rely on a city like a local politician to fix the kind of like disrepair in your building or the illegal rent increase? Good luck. They are not going to do that. Yeah. Like it's only us getting organized together that can actually fix these problems. Whether that's making us feel safer in the building, whether that's making demands on how to actually address our needs, whether that need is package theft or mold and lead like uh yeah that and kind this of isn't new to anyone here but like those people are also tenants or working class yeah, yeah, exactly. people or poor people that like are victims of the housing industry in probably one way or another um you know and so it's just like it's not othering the you know it's you're seeing your future self you know as a working class or a poor person you know there's only a thin line between you know, us and someone who's how like doesn't have a home right now. You know what I mean? So like for me, I mean, I've been, we've been staring down the barrel of homelessness the past like few months, mm -hmm. not knowing if they would renew our lease out of retaliation and things like that. And knowing there's nowhere to go around here. Um, and so, you know, it's, it can make people panic when they reach that line and it, and it occasionally does. I mean, I felt the panic, you know, where you're like on, on mm -hmm. the edge, like staring at that and, um, I think it's just important to catch people before they use that to turn against, you know, their future, the, the person they're seeing reflected back at them, you know? I mean, I think it's also related to the fact that like calling the cops on someone who's houseless wandering into your lobby seems like a problem that's much more easy for you to control than actually getting accountability from the landlord. And I think right. so much of what the work of the tenant union is supposed to do, in addition to like training us how to act collectively together in a solidaristic way against the common enemy. It's also about like saying like other things are like, we actually to denaturalize the kind of shitty living conditions that we're often forced into be like, we actually can live differently. We can do something about it differently. And that is not more possible than like just harassing a homeless guy. Right. That's at least the wager of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and also like the way it dehumanizes you in the sense that it fosters you to, uh, encourages you to de do antisocial behavior, like exactly. calling yeah. the police on a house exactly. person. Exactly. Um, yeah, and like part of organizing is 
it's like we have to retrain ourselves to like be fully human in a way right. you know we have to like yeah. restore our own humanity by teaching us that we're actually capable of doing a repair like that we don't need to beg the management company we don't need to beg the maintenance worker like obviously it's fine to hire a maintenance worker um sometimes mm -hmm. you need a professional depending on yeah. the size and certain issues and things like that there's nothing wrong with that but being in a in a relation that forces you to become a beggar in every way, whether it's to beg for your rights from the state or beg from mm -hmm. your landlord for repair. We have to like destroy both of those things and be able to take care of each other and, you know, and re like respond to people's needs collectively. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's hard. I mean, it's like, it's really hard because, you know, it's hard even to rid myself of like that kind of helplessness sometimes or looking for like the quick legal, you know, fix to your problem because it, it seems like, well, no, it is, it is less work, but it, it's also less fruitful, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, do you want to read this article? I mean, man, it's fucking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like the photos on this thing. Um, this, the article is called, there's just no hiding inside the self-defense class for landlords. Um, this is in a publication capital in Maine. Um, I didn't, I didn't catch this at the time, but I'm glad you sent it to me. Um, here we go. Let's start here. If you Google tenant, tenant landlord murder, you'll see, Carrie Rios says. Before I go even any further, <laughs> it's like, like I, there was an article that you sent me, Katie, about it was like in Pennsylvania, like a, mm -hmm. not oh, even a, yeah. like a rent a cop shot a, land, mm -hmm. a tenant. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Please, please Google tenant landlord murder. Yeah. You will see. Yeah. <laughs> like, there yeah. Are, um mm -hmm. also all the unlisted like social murder by landlords exactly right. like lead lead paint right shit. exactly right. um the former traffic cop there you go pushes her tortoise shell <laughs> glasses up on her nose and surveys her class of property managers and landlords who have so far failed to match her pep at nine in the morning the poster behind her commemorates a 1948 campaign against rent control freedom is everyone's business it reads <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> I'm Perfect. fucking. She lives <laughs> it. She's living it. It's like the old WPA style, like yeah, yeah, yeah like New Deal type posters. Except yeah, it's... yeah get your kids vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> type deal. <laughs> but the opposite direction. I, I love that fucking like Nazi ass saying too. Freedom is everybody's business. Like mm -hmm. that's that's some fucking yeah. Um. So many it's like a homeschoolers, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> homeschool mom. Um, so many cases, she says, grinning and shaking her head, her head. That's why this class is so important. She's talking about tenant landlord murder. Um, on a great February day at the offices of the Apartment Association of Greater Los Angeles, 11 landlords and property managers have enrolled in a two and a half hour self-defense class <laughs> to protect themselves from irate tenants, mm -hmm. transients and the other hazards of life in the private housing business. Um, the course teaches how to stop life-threatening bleeding, maintain mm -hmm. 360 degrees of awareness, <laughs> take cover from bullets, and disarm shooters. Um, there's a photo on this article where the like, two landlords are hiding in terror next to an open door preparing to disarm a active shooter. I would have literally paid to be there. That would have been so funny. <laughs> Um, you know it's weird it's like 
it's like having these like self defense classes. It's like for the longest time, like right, like um, there'd be like self defense classes for like women. You know what I mean? Like um, if you're attacked by a rapist mm. or something in the park, like here's how you disarm them, in in this and that and the other. Um, and that makes sense, right? That is a life skill that is necessary for certain people in this world to have. But like, it's weird having like a training class just for landlords. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is what you will be dealing with from your tenants. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this will be the strangest uh, part of it, too, is that like the state does not hesitate to send in cops to evict people. Yeah, that, exactly. Yeah, we just saw videos of that happening in Detroit earlier this week. So exactly. they're only, the only situation where you have to like be forcibly evicting your tenant where they might be armed and a danger. It's like when you're doing an illegal eviction or you're like walking in their apartment <laughs> right, without yeah. notice or, you know, how to stay safe while breaking the law as yeah. a landlord. <laughs> it makes me wonder if they're training for like the revolution or something. Right. It's like right. that, that's the only other thing I can come up yeah. with. It's like that's the only other circumstance where the cops wouldn't be there to <laughs> evict people if they do. I need lots of excuses to go to the gym too. You know, like maybe this is a creative way they can kind of. It's like you healthy. know when you're imagining someone like chasing you so you run faster. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, it's a creative way to kind of keep these idle hands of landlords busy and active. You know, like you just age faster if you're just sitting at home all day not doing shit. Yeah. So. Um, they say they're doing this course because as landlords and property managers, we can be subject to verbal and or physical verbal attacks. Oh, oh that's so God. sad. God. How do you protect yourself against a verbal attack? <laughs> um, By renters or tenant groups. Unfortunately, oh. the media portrays us as evil. That's very unfortunate. Oh. Um, Are they doing training for the verbal attacks? <laughs> you put I just think that's what ear. You just put your fingers in your like la 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 la. Yeah, just close your eyes, bro. Yeah, just <laughs> you don't have to listen to it. It's like yeah, it's like that Tyler the Creator tweet. It's like yeah. cyberbullying isn't real. Just close your eyes. Yep. Um. <laughs> uh, Rios teaches the course with Hans Sievert, a six-five lieutenant paramedic who says he is passionate about passionate about bleeding control. <laughs> bleeding control. I I too am passionate about that. Um. That's so funny. Uh, <laughs> you know, I do a lot of things, but my life's passion is, you know, stopping bloody wounds from. It's like hyphen white blood cells, <laughs> blood platelets. Oh, I'm passionate about Freaks. blood control. This is such a weird quote. In COVID, a lot of people lost their jobs. They lost their family, and the last thing they have is their house. You're taking the last thing they have. This is their worst day. I'm not trying to scare you, but you need to be prepared for that. Holy fuck. I thought they were going to say people lost things, and they're angrier, and they were talking about themselves. No, they oh, were talking so about funny. their tenants. Yes, they yeah, were talking, talking about their tenants. They were saying- you go to a vic, It's like she tacitly to... acknowledges, are we evil, feckless, oh, yeah. heartless sons of bitches? Sure. No, they're but, saying like oh these people, God. our tenants lost family members. They've been, they've had their <laughs> lives completely turned over by death and disease. So you need to be prepared for that. Because they have nothing oh. left. They have you nothing left. Yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> they're at the end of the road. They're going to bring the kitchen sink, pal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they really are like in feudal times in their mind. Like yeah. they, it's, that's absolutely insane. Wow. Yeah. Um, 
we're afraid, agrees a mom-and-pop landlord who declined to give her name because she was worried about anti-landlord bias. Mm -hmm. Also, how do you define mom-and-pop landlord? It's like you were saying, Ben, it's like... 96 you, units. 96 small units. landlord. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, the sessions were an immediate hit when they were launched last year successfully competing for space in a packed calendar that also offers estate planning Q and A's with local politicians, like uh, some LA politician and mm -hmm. lectures on COVID-19 eviction protections with Dennis block, the super lawyer once called the Henry Ford of evictions. My God. God. Or his breathtaking efficiency processing <laughs> cases. Oh God my God. Damn. It's like, that's, you know, it's like the ninth, going to your grave for that, having yeah. been known as the Henry Ford of kicking people. That's, out yeah, that's home. what I was like. Oh, I mean, there's you are like, yeah, yeah. In Dante, if you if you survive, that's a miracle. That but, regular yeah. Henry Ford's bad enough, but I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. it, in that's Dante, what I'm saying. It's like I actually, they're not wrong that like people are this mad, like angry. Like I actually think that that's accurate. It's just like hearing them accurately diagnose it and not see themselves in the position is like what's shocking mm -hmm. yeah um, seeing, seeing them um as the villain you know as you're gonna say in the inferno the ninth level of hell is reserved for those who have betrayed others um i would say if there's a level beneath that it's got to be for people who are known for their breathtaking efficiency at processing eviction cases. <laughs> enjoy this <Yeah>. life pal <laughs> <laughs> um <clears throat> uh Let's see. Until February 1st, landlords could not evict tenants in L.A. who cite COVID-19 as the reason they could not pay rent. The resulting conflicts between tenants and landlords in part inspired them to host the classes. So this is something that I wrote about this for The Nation recently because um, like they not about the evictions thing, but about food stamps. Like there was, you know, special um, addition like people were getting a, a, a little bit more money than they usually got before the pandemic during the pandemic because of the emergencies mm -hmm. declared by the government is the same thing for renters. And so it kind of creates this weird sort of disconnect this weird disjuncture where like you have this emergency officially ending and with it, all of the kind of like welfare mm -hmm. state good things that came mm -hmm. along with it. But like the emergency hasn't ended. It's still mm -hmm. crisis out there every single day mm -hmm. for tons of people. Um, I don't know. It's just this weird. It's this weird thing. But obviously, you can see how this kind of drove landlords. I really think that this is a part of why they're they are so unhinged. Like those COVID protections for like rent renters and stuff. For sure. Which is funny because again, most of the legislation that provided relief to tenants was directly routed to landlords. It was like not like money that the tenants got. It was like right. money that they could apply for that the state would give that money to the landlord anyway. But yeah, it definitely seems COVID drove them nuts. The idea they couldn't evict people, the idea that commercial landlords were like worried about people not returning to work and not paying rent, uh, if, if like businesses not paying rent, like clearly it 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 uh it got them a little spooked for sure. Um, it definitely did. Um, let's see, this guy he says he has no research demonstrating incre increased violence against landlords, but tenant advocates say that the pandemic heightened conflict too. LA's eviction defense network says that in 2020 complaints from tenants that their landlords were harassing them increased by 352% over 2019. That's crazy. Um, well, this uh, is LA, right? This mm -hmm. is LA, right? It's interesting. Cause I feel like, you know, 
because I, I feel like serious tenant organizing or at least like a tenant movement is fairly um, established in like New York and LA, you know, we can kind of see what's coming in terms mm -hmm. of like retaliation kind of tactics mm -hmm. because around here, it's still kind of the mode of their repression. is like complete negligence and absenteeism. Right. Um, and so, you know, they haven't been reacting quite this way. Like all of our issues are like negligence related. Um, you know, obviously it includes evictions, which is like an act of violence, but, um, you know, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if landlords are acting out act like actively the way they are in LA and work, but it's, I think it's going to come as we organize more. Mm -hmm. Totally. I think you're right. Um, um, so we'll just, uh, close it up here in just a second. I just want to read some anecdotes from this after the morning session concludes property managers, Nedra Bloodsaw. Man, how's that for a fucking tenant landlord thing? <laughs> Bloodsaw? <laughs> what the fuck? Um, and, Lupe, and Lupe Leon reflect on life on the front lines. They deserve literal words. As they fiddle with a pair of Generation 7 combat application tourniquets. Bloodsaw these says... These are, these are the biggest... <laughs> This is like so. I'm just picturing them doing like a wartime medical like scene, but like in your apartment, it's like a hurt locker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know how like every profession has its own thin colored line of some mm -hmm. kind. It's like mm -hmm. they're like vying for that, right? Like they right. want like uh, landlord Valor. Uh, yeah, it's so, that's so weird, man. There's I don't know. I'm, there's some sort of amoeba causing this. I just don't think people know mm -hmm. that naturally. <laughs> It's the fungal thing going around. Yeah. Well, yeah, these two guys are property managers, so they're not even landlords. Oh, they're basically oh. hired guns, which is mm -hmm. like, like as they say here, when we serve a notice, they start screaming. They're yelling, why are you evicting me? I mean, what the fuck? This is like, the, it's just like so disgusting to hear them talk about this. Um, the company the, is in safe. Kentucky, they can't do that. That's what they used to try to do to people. A judge and the cops actually have to bring it. If a landlord brings it, you know it's bullshit. They're just trying to get you out of there. Is that is that true? Which I didn't know that in college. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the company is safe. They're far away. Bloodsaw says we have to deliver the hate mail. Um, when members of the county's seventy thousand strong homeless population break into the building, he manages looking for shelter and vacant units. Cuevas and his wife are sent to remove them. We always say sitting in the office, we're fucked. Everyone can see us and everyone knows who we are. Tenants, they're more bark than bite, but they know where we live. So there's just no hiding. Um, it's, it's like this weird dynamic, right? Because like, yeah, you have the landlords and then you have the tenants, but kind of like wedged in between there are these property managers who are, are they, like, as they acknowledge in this article, even they're getting fucked by the landlords, but they're still little pussy bitches. Like they still have to fucking yeah. do their... They're like the foreman of the old factory system. Yeah, exactly. They think, they, they think like management. They still live like workers and they're kind of caught in between in a fucked yeah. way. Yeah, I've been, we've been dealing exclusively with the management company because we can't find our landlord. And, you know, we started off as, like trying to appeal to them as workers. Like we only have two staff here from the management company. Um, and, you know, we said, like, we understand you're in an impossible position because management was trying to force them, like, to mediate the whole issue and stuff like that and increasing their hours and things like that. But they were so hostile to us, even as we were, like, publicly facing the only things we were saying about them is, like, 
they we need more more stuff like we they need help we need help you know and um we know that it's like the landlord and management company's decision to actively understaff it so we were trying to trying to treat it like partly as a staffing issue which should have benefited them but they they were so hostile right away and then continued to harass and um harass tenants and organizers and um so it was just really disheartening to try to like bridge that gap and you know appeal to their like overall class interests but their immediate you know interest is i guess keeping their job or there's just so much litigation going on it's hard to say if like there's some sort of you know if something's being held over their heads or something like that but um at this point we just have to treat them like we we have to be defensive for our tenants and you know that means being antagonistic to them now so i have to um i have to read this this is insane <laughs> in well-produced videos avert co-founder darcy Lut Leutzinger tells the audience to strike the nose. This isn't the insane part. This is insane, but it's not the insane part. <laughs> strike the nose with an open palm when fighting an assailant. It's like it's like um, what's that movie with fucking yeah. Harrison Ford where they're on the, the old uh, <laughs> nose bone through the brain thing. Yes, it's like Con Air or something. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. Um, push your fingers into their eyes, says uh -huh. a former narcotics <laughs> officer. Consider scratching and biting. Um. This is this is the part that fucking killed me. Consider scratching him body. <laughs> In the last portion of the training, the group simulates a mass shooting. Sievert pounds on the door with a fake assault rifle as the group hides against the wall. Bloodsaw covers herself with the California flag as Lupe Leon crouches beneath a poster of Howard Jarvis, <laughs> slathering plaster onto a cracking dam marked Prop 13, oh which is failing to contain a flood labeled runaway government spinning. Oh, my God. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> oh, fuck. I mean, this is the stuff of paranoid. It's so wild. I mean, but it's the stuff of paranoid <laughs> fantasy. A mass shooting event? Like it's just that hasn't. That's just not. A if thing. there was, if there was a mass shooting event, management would show up like three days later, be like, "Are you okay? Is everyone what okay? Is, <laughs> what this is is it's like it's like Renfair. It's like Renfair shit for landlords. It's like it's like cosplaying or something. It's like yeah. Listen if to this. I mean, we need to put them on the couch. Like I think we need a psychoanalyst to understand <laughs> the kind of violence that they're projecting onto their tenants because there's no other way to actually make sense of these strange fantasies uh <laughs> that they that are kind of clearly yeah occupying them. Oh, they're yeah, cosplaying like land reform but like i just think we should just join that you know cause like we should just have a reenactment like in, right. So right it's logical there is so much going on there um yeah one of them draped in a california flag one of them crouches beneath the poster of Howard Jarvis slathering plaster onto a cracking dam marked Prop 13, which Incredible. is failing to contain a flood labeled runaway government spending. Then Sievert bursts in and they wrench the barrel of his, of his gun from his hands. Cuevas and Jackie Gutierrez throw nerf balls at his face. They cheer and high five when the big man goes down. <laughs> People want to be Robin Hoods, Euclidman says. They want to transfer wealth from a property to someone else. They want free rent. Now they say he housing is human right. I mean, it's crazy. Unless the government provides housing, he adds. Can you imagine? No. Wow. I can't, can't imagine. They are the most earnest soldiers. You know, they really are.
they the California were, yeah. flag is a nice touch, a nice memorial yeah. to a republic <laughs> premised on stealing a lot of other people's land. <laughs> yeah. Truly. Yeah. Truly. <laughs> the funny thing is, is this is probably just a cottage industry for like retired cops, but landlords are taking it very seriously. Uh, yes. One yeah, thousand. Those must be great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cops have oh. great like post career like consulting. Oh yeah, sure. yeah. everybody's so afraid, and they can like say, "Well, here's, you know, some hard boiled tale that happened to me that you need to be ready for." Right, <laughs> right. And I'm going to tell you for the low, low price. Of, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, well, I don't know. Maybe we need to do a better job organizing the the management workers on site, but. I don't know. What do yeah, you think they're about trained that? in a lot of effective military tactics that uh truly <laughs> <laughs> no comment. No comment on arming tenants. Yeah. Um well I think that about sums it up for the day. Um guys, we really appreciate you coming yeah, you guys on. Are the best. This is fun talked about this. No, thank you so much. This was really fun. One uh, other plug before we go, if you do want to find out more about tenant organizing, there is actually a great program that a lot of our kind of comrades are putting on through the Housing Justice Commission at the national level DSA. And the program is called ETOC, Emergency Tenant Organizing Council. You can find it out online. You can sign up for trainings and you can get some of your own neighbors or some of your friends that live in the same area to start to get help and mentorship and what it might mean to build a tenant union where you live. Um yeah, anyone who's renting needs a union, and it's a really good program if you want some some good kind of first steps. And oh, I'll do. It. Can I do a shout out for the Connecticut Tenants Union? Please it's do. Still Please do. A little. It's still a little amorphous, um, but it's a statewide organizing project, and they've been a really uh, big help to me and the tenants here with resources and experience. And so, I guess for anyone in Connecticut, that's a good good place to find some stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll put some of those links in the show notes, um, and. Uh, Maybe next time, maybe next time you guys come back, we can have another article to read. It will be even more deranged. They'll be like, <laughs> they'll be, they'll be like trying to defuse a bomb or something rather than stop a mass shooting. They're like trying to like, <laughs> disarm a, a bomb. Uh, I, they're going to like have like, it's going to be a new escape room experience where you're yeah. like the landlord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. Um, well, thanks so much, guys. Thanks for joining us. If yeah, you would you like to support us on Patreon, please go to www.patreon.com slash Trillbilly Workers Party. Give us $5 a month or more if you'd like. Um, and tell a friend, uh, spread the word, tell them about this episode. Um, so thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Adios. <laughs>